Welcome to the 184th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host today, Patrick Winograd. In this edition, our topics are a brief overview of my weekend predictions, our weekly look at the NFL, and our weekly looks at the NBA and college basketball, as well as our look at bowl season in college football. Let's jump right in and talk about my weekend predictions. Uh, in the NFL, I went 4-0. In the NBA, I went 2-2. Two two. In college basketball, I went 3-1. And, and in college football bowl predictions, I am 7-3 so far before Tuesday's action. Uh, that makes me 16-6 combined, bringing me to a 582-387 overall record, a 60.1% winning percentage, uh, my predictions, as always, will be posted next week on our website, or sorry, this week, I should say, and every week on our website on Thursday. But going back and circling back for a little bit, uh, let's talk about the NFL predictions. I correctly predicted that the 49ers would beat the Seahawks on Thursday Night Football. They did so in 21-13 fashion of the final score. Uh, it was probably more of a blowout than that score suggests. Uh, but the Bills beat the Dolphins 32-29. to That game was very, very close. I picked the Bills, though. I got it right. The Chargers beat the Titans 17-14 to on a game-winning kicker from Cameron Dicker. Um, that was a game that I predicted right as well. A very close game, I'd add. Um, and then finally, the Bengals beat the Buccaneers 34-23. to A big comeback victory for the Bengals after the Buccaneers had led throughout most of that game. Uh, and I will talk about that one more later. In the NBA, I lost my first two as the Grizzlies beat the Bucks 142 to 101, not close at all. Um, and the Jazz beat the Pelicans 132 to 129 in overtime, a very very close game that had a uh, controversial ending to regulation with a possible goaltending call that wasn't called, but then the Jazz won anyway. So, uh, and that goaltending would have led to their winning basket in regulation. So you know what they won in in overtime. Uh, all's fair that ends fair, I guess you could say in this situation. Although I still got a prediction wrong because of it. Uh, but then the Suns beat the Clippers 111-95. I predicted that one correctly. And the Cavaliers beat the Mavericks 100-99 in overtime, which was another game that I had predicted correctly. Um, and then in college basketball, I went 3-1. I correctly predicted that Houston, who was number 5 now, would bounce back from their loss at home in Alabama and go on the road and beat number 2 undefeated Virginia, or previously undefeated Virginia. Uh, they did so 69-61 in a true road game. And then number 15, Gonzaga beat number four, Alabama, 100-90. to I predicted that wrong. Alabama just did not play any defense in this game. Uh, this is one of those games where people say it is a neutral site, but they did play in Birmingham, Alabama. I highly doubt that many Gonzaga fans traveled there, uh, and I would be more willing to bet that Alabama fans were able to travel to Birmingham. So more of an Alabama home game than uh, really neutral, but, you know, it still technically counts, uh, and I got that wrong, and I actually had factored in the fact that it was basically on Alabama's campus, and that's part of the reason why I predicted them. Uh, but then number eight, Kansas beat number 14, Indiana, 84-62. to Indiana showing that they are not the best team in the Big Ten, and it's not really close. They are not on Purdue's level this year, um, despite all the preseason expectations that they had. It's just not working out. They are not that, they're not a high-level team, and that has been proven in their non-conference schedule. And even in their conference schedule, with that early road loss to Rutgers, a top team would go on the road and be able to get that win. It's not a horrible loss, but a top team would be able to get that done. Um, and then finally, you have number nine, Arizona, who beat number six, Tennessee, 75-70. to A great game played by Arizona, a very, very close game, 35-35 to at the half. Tennessee scored 35 in both halves, but Arizona able to pull out 
the victory in the end. Um, and then in college football, we will talk about all of those in a second. As I said before, my predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday. But now let's go on to those bowl games and talk about the start of bowl season. UAB beat Miami of Ohio 24-20 in the first bowl game of the season. That was the Bahamas Bowl. This was a fun game to watch. Um, it was a good kickoff to bowl season. It confirmed the previous thoughts that we had already known, which is that the MAC really tends to struggle in bowl games, and they don't typically end up with the best record. But um, maybe some later results can change that this year. Who knows? Uh, but at the same time, UAB, pretty strong program recently. Um, really good in basketball this year as well, but they are able to pull out this victory. Held Miami of Ohio. They were going to actually score to win the game on, I, I don't know if it was a fourth down, but it was the last play of the game because there were only, I think, three seconds left on the clock from the 15-yard line, and they were able to get down to the two-yard line but not quite able to get into the end zone. So a 13-yard reception from the 15 uh, to end the game. UAB was a double-digit favorite, so it was surprising that this game was close. Um, then you had the next game. UTSA had a 12 to nothing lead after a safety, a touchdown, and a field goal. But they completely outgained Troy, completely outplayed them throughout the game. But turnovers just plagued this team. They turned the ball over five times in this game. And Troy was able to get 15 points off of those turnovers, despite most of those points being field goals. Um, and UTSA, in the end, lost 18-12 to because they just could not finish off a drive. They had a drop in the end zone with about three and a half minutes left that would have won the game, or that would have given them the lead um, with, as I said, just three and a half minutes left, but not able to do so, and those turnovers ended up uh, ruining the game for them. Then you have North Carolina Central, who pulled off the big upset over Jackson State, 41-34 to in overtime. Another drop touchdown in this game for Jackson State. Uh, if you're trying to keep up with my predictions, these were the two games I predicted wrong initially. There was one more that we'll get to in a second, but... Um, got this one wrong, had Jackson State by a pretty wide margin as well. They were double-digit favorites for sure. Uh, but spoiled Dion's last game at Jackson State uh, is exactly what North Carolina Central was aiming for and exactly what they were able to do in this game. Then you have Louisville, who beat Cincinnati 24-7. to um, I wanted to pick Cincinnati. I was picking Cincinnati. Then I checked the opt-outs and saw that there were so many players out. Um, for Cincinnati and Louisville had that extra edge of having their own former coach going to Cincinnati and feeling like they needed to get some revenge for that. So I felt that was a safer pick there, even though Louisville, their backup quarterback, had not played as well as Evan Prater had as the backup for Cincinnati. Um, but Brock Doman, their backup, able to come in and do the job while Cincinnati was missing five of its top six pass catchers. I just had the feeling that even with the back or even with the backup that had some experience with all those weapons out, you're just not going to win the game. Um, so Louisville ends up pulling out that win as we predicted. Then number 14, Oregon state absolutely humiliated Florida 30 to three. I am not going to talk any more about this game, about this team. Uh, Florida came out, they looked uninspired. They had a lot of players who weren't playing that hard and they end up with a losing season at the hands of Oregon state, who was, trying to get to their first 10-win season in a very long time in program in their program, and uh, I think only the second or third time in their program's history. That one was an easy one to predict with Florida's quarterback opting out and already being, I would say, an inferior team. I would pick Oregon State if Anthony Richardson was playing, and since he wasn't, it made it even easier. Um, but I got that one right. 
Then you have Fresno State who beat Washington State 29-6. I had Washington State up until the last minute, and I changed my pick based on some of the opt-out news that I had seen for Washington State. I forget exactly who was out, but I just remembered that I didn't like the way it looked. Um, and I liked the way that Fresno State's season had trended because they were 1-4 in the season and had won nine in a row to actually get all the way to 10-4 by the end if you include this bowl game, or eight in a row coming into the bowl game. So I, I liked the way that they were playing at the end of the season and uh, ended up picking them. That went right for me. Then Southern Miss and Rice. Southern Miss beat Rice 38-24. Rice the only sub-500 team uh, before their bowl game even started to make a bowl game. They were 5-7 and seven before. Got in because of the academic progress rate, which is how Rutgers got into a bowl game last year, actually, against Wake Forest. Um, but which was similar, but not really, because that had to do with some COVID cancellations, I believe. Um, but then Rice did lose that game. They actually came storming back after Southern Miss was up 17-3 at the half. They scored 21 in the third quarter, um, and Southern Miss was only able to put up 7 to tie it going into the fourth. Then Southern Miss scored 14 unanswered in the fourth quarter. Actually, I think 21 unanswered before then, because I think they were actually losing at some point. I think they were losing 24-17. Uh, uh, but Frank Gore Jr. had a great game. I think he had, or yeah, on just 15 carries, or, or 22 carries, I think, actually. He had 342 yards, I believe, as a final total. I don't exactly remember the exact numbers I did yesterday, but I don't apparently today anymore. Um, he had more than 300 rushing yards, though, which is the point. And he set a bowl game record and an all-time program record at Southern Miss. He played a great game, and he led them to that victory. Um, and then you have... SMU and BYU, these teams were tied 10-10 to at the half, but uh, BYU was able to score 14 unanswered points at the beginning of the third quarter off of a pick six and an offensive touchdown. And while SMU was able to get 13 unanswered in the fourth quarter, despite having all the momentum, they went for two with no time left on the clock or maybe like eight seconds left. Um, I really don't like that decision. Uh, if you were BYU and you had been getting dominated for the fourth quarter and then you scored the touchdown, and it was kind of maybe a fluky touchdown on Hail Mary or something, I could see why you would try to go for the win there at the end. But if you're SMU, when when all the only reason why the game is tied is because you threw a pick six on a screen pass when you would have gone up by seven on that drive and instead you ended up down seven. I just don't think that when you have all the momentum going in your way after scoring two touchdowns in a row in the fourth, I would just take it to overtime and just keep that momentum going because it was all it was all on their side, um, and I just really don't like that decision to be honest. Uh, but you know, maybe I'm more uh, salty about that decision because of the fact that it lost me a prediction. But I did say in the moment before they actually missed the two point conversion, they're going to go for two. They're not going to get it, um, and I'm not going to be surprised. But I will be very mad, and here I am. Uh, then finally. You have Boise State and North Texas. Boise State beat North Texas 35-32. to This game was incredibly boring. It was 10-6 at the half. But then all of a sudden, every single possession in the second half was a touchdown, except for one possession where North Texas threw an interception. So this game picked up in the action, uh, in the level of action it had in it very, very quickly and became very, very interesting very quickly as well. Um, a fun watch for sure in the second half. If you were able to skip the first half and only tune in for the second half, you probably had a good time watching that game. I kind of struggled through watching the first half, but the second half was great and there was basketball on beside it anyway. Uh, then you have Marshall 
who beat UConn 28-14. A great season for UConn to get back into a bowl game with Jim Mora, but not such a great ending for them uh, with how this season turned out. And Marshall able to get that bowl victory uh, over UConn. A good win. They were favored by a lot. They won by a lot. Uh, UConn had a storm to try to get back into the game, but it ended just a little bit short of what they needed to get to. And that is all we're going to talk about for college football. There's still one game in progress today, so I didn't talk about the other game. We will talk about everything from Tuesday to next Monday um, on the podcast next week on Tuesday. But for now, let's move on to the NFL, starting with the best games of Week 15. I will start with the Chargers, who beat the Titans 17-14. This was a very close game, as I mentioned during my uh, predictions recap. It came down to Cameron Dicker, the kicker kicking a game-winning field goal for the Chargers. Uh, Justin Herbert did a great job to get them in position for this drive. Really weird game with a lot of different injuries to key players. Ryan Tannehill got carted off the field, but then came back in the middle of the game, which is very, very strange. And I think also Austin Eckler went to the 10 at some point in the game. So a lot of injuries to the important players on both teams, but then all of them ended up coming out and playing the rest of the game. Uh, And eventually the Chargers were able to pull through in the battle of seven and six teams, although teams trending in opposite directions. If you look at the Titans recently, who are 0-4 in their last four weeks, whereas the Chargers, coming off that big win over the Dolphins, are now able to get this win over the Titans as well. Uh, So a good game for the Chargers, kind of locking up that wildcard spot, not locking up necessarily, but trending towards locking it up, definitely putting themselves in better position. And the other result that helped them with that uh, positioning for the wildcard is that the Raiders beat the Patriots 30-24. to If you did not see how this game ended, you should just find a video of it and watch it on social media. It is not worth explaining. I, I will go explain it anyway, but look, these teams went back and forth for a while. The Raiders were up 17-3 to at the half, but then the Patriots came storming back, and it looked like they were content to take the game in overtime. They did not attempt to Hail Mary. Instead, with three seconds left, they ran the ball to Ramondre Stevenson. He pitched it to Jacoby Myers, And then Jacoby Myers threw it backwards, trying to hit Mac Jones, and instead it was picked off in the air on a lateral by Chandler Jones, who was able to stiff-arm Mac Jones and run into the end zone for the Raiders uh, and to get that win, and also kind of ironic because Chandler Jones was on the Patriots, so a little bit of a revenge game for him. Able to kind of spoil the Patriots' season as if they were able to ice away that victory. They would be 8-6, just like the Chargers, and in that wildcard chase. But now, at 7-7, they are behind the Chargers, also behind a team like the Dolphins, behind a few more as well. Uh, But then, moving on from that game, which I would recommend looking at the ending if you haven't already, it was just crazy. Uh, The Chiefs, they struggled against the one, now 1-12-1 Texans. Uh, This game went to overtime because Harrison Butker missed the opportunity for a game-winning field goal, Uh, but the Chiefs were able to secure it in overtime 30-24. The Texans actually deserve a lot of credit for this game because... Mahomes won the coin toss, as as a lot of people have noted, has happened frequently since it didn't happen against Tom Brady in that in that uh, AFC Championship game a few years ago, or AFC Divisional Round, whichever one it was. But despite getting the ball first in overtime, the Chiefs actually did not score on their first possession. It took Frank Clark forcing a Davis Mills fumble while he was scrambling outside of the pocket that ricocheted about 15 or 20 yards downfield uh, to a Chiefs player and then was picked up for the Chiefs to actually get the ball back for the second time. And then Jerick McKinnon ran it in on the very first play when they were really just trying to get a better field goal angle and get some more range play safe, uh, make it a closer field goal for Butker, who had already missed 
the first game-winning field goal uh, opportunity. Uh, but the Chiefs able to pull out that win in a very, very close game. Now moving on, the Jacksonville Jaguars beat the Dallas Cowboys in overtime 40-34. to That was a surprising win. Um, and the Cowboys lost kind of because of Dak Prescott, mostly because of their defense. It's hard to place blame on one person. Really, after they had taken a lead, the whole team just kind of stopped playing well. They were up 27-10. to But despite that, they were not, or sorry, 26-10. to But despite that, they were not actually able to close out the game. Uh, Dak Prescott threw a pick in deep in the Cowboys' own territory after a sack by the by the Jaguars. After the Jaguars had just scored a touchdown on some blown coverage um, to make the game closer, and then that touchdown that the Jaguars were able to score there made the game closer and almost finished off the comeback before the Jaguars got into field goal position a few uh, possessions later to actually put the game into overtime. Then. The Jaguars got the ball, didn't score, but Dak Prescott on a third and five threw an interception, although it was a perfectly designed route. He made a pretty good throw, um, but just a little bit too far in front of his receiver. His receiver, Noah Brown, dropped it, and it ricocheted right into the hands of a Jaguars linebacker or corner who was waiting there behind that play to make a hit on Noah Brown, uh, although he would have gotten the first down, so the hit wouldn't have mattered. But the ricochet came up, Jaguars player picked it off, took it the other way, game ended on the Jaguars, winning pick six, and now all of a sudden, because of that pick six, the Jaguars are in prime position to maybe take over the lead in their division, as the Titans are struggling at seven and seven, the Jaguars now at six and eight, definitely have a chance to take over that division lead, we will see what happens. Uh, Speaking of teams that, well, maybe don't have a shot to take over their divisional lead, but will be a factor in terms of determining a playoff picture, the Lions have gone from one and six to seven and seven, now, after their win over the Jets, they beat the Jets 20-17. to uh, This was a good win for the Lions. It was a close game. It took the Jets uh, kicker Greg Zerline missing a potential game-tying field goal for the Lions to escape on the road and not go to overtime. But a great win for the Lions, and they just have to keep winning, and maybe they might get a shot at the playoffs if the Commanders keep losing, but we'll talk about that in a second. Then you have the Bills, who beat the Dolphins 32-29 to at home. The Bills clinched a playoff spot this weekend with their win, uh, alongside the Chiefs, who clinched the AFC West with their win. I should have mentioned earlier, but I just mentioned now. The Bills played a good game, and uh, the Dolphins were able to really keep this one close, keep it interesting. There was uh, a bunch of intrigue with fans and snowballs and the goings-on related to that, but the Bills able to pull out the win despite all the distractions. Um, Very close to clinching the division as well, I believe, just one win or one loss by any of the by the Dolphins in any of the remaining games, and the Bills just one win in any of their remaining games will give them the division as they have a three-game lead already over the Dolphins, who are in second place, while the Patriots and Jets are at 7-7. Seven and seven. Um, And we only have three weeks left, so there you go. I think that's a pretty simple clinching scenario, but they did not clinch it just yet, just because the Dolphins are tied with them in that tiebreaker, and then it would break down into other tiebreakers that haven't been decided yet. Uh, but I have a good feeling that the Bills will, in the end, clinch that division, and we'll just have to see what seed they get by the end of the year. Then finally, the last of the best games was the second game of the week. Uh, the Vikings beat the Colts 39-36 to in overtime. That doesn't sound too crazy on the surface, but the Vikings did not score a point in the first two quarters of this game. The Colts were up 33 to nothing, but the Vikings were able to come back hold the Colts to just one field goal in the second half, 
get five touchdowns with the X with the two point conversion that they needed to tie the game and eventually uh, pull away from the Colts in overtime, winning the game 39 to 36. Although it was very close to being a tie at the end as well, um, which is a crazy scenario that could have happened here. But Matt Ryan now on the losing end of the worst, uh, I guess, worst choke, or you could say best comeback victory, whichever way you feel. If you're a, a glass half empty or glass half full person, it depends. Uh, but I will say the worst choke, even though I'm normally a glass half full person, uh, but the worst choke belongs to Matt Ryan now in Super Bowl history, obviously with the 28-3 lead over New England and Tom Brady that he that his defense and him eventually lost. Um, and then this game where the offense just completely sputtered in the second half despite scoring so many points, 33 points in the first half, although some of that was a defensive touchdown as well. Uh, but only able to muster up one field goal in the second half, it ended up giving away the game to the Vikings, and the Vikings take advantage uh, now at 11-3. and They have clinched the NFC North with that win. Um, this team really does not scare me. They don't phase me. I don't think they're going very far in the playoffs, but congratulations on getting back atop that division uh, to the Vikings fans. This was really not a clean game whatsoever. I barely watched it because it was never close, and then all of a sudden it was. Uh, but in overtime and also with a lot of the situations with the refs in the first half, second half, overtime, and all the players even, too, with Jonathan Taylor getting injured in the middle of the game. This was not a clean game by any measure um, that you would use. And, well, it, it turned out pretty sloppy and led to the Vikings' comeback win. Uh, but props for the Vikings for that comeback, a very impressive comeback. And speaking of impressive, let's move on to the most impressive teams of the week, where I will start with the first game of the week, where the 49ers beat the Seahawks 21-13, this was pretty much domination by the 49ers. They were up 21-3, and the Seahawks really didn't have a chance. They got a field goal at the end of the third quarter and a touchdown in pretty much garbage time in the fourth quarter. Uh, but the 49ers dominated throughout this game. I didn't really want to put it in best games with how close those other ones were being decided by field goal margins or overtime or the last play of the game, all of them. Um, so not really that much of a close game, but the 49ers just keep on winning, uh, and they clinched the NFC West with that win. Then the Bengals beat the Buccaneers 34-23. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers turned the ball over on four straight possessions, um, and that gave the Bengals the lead. They were losing 17-3 at the half, but by the end of the third quarter, they were up 20-17, which is insane. They outscored the Buccaneers 17-0 in the third quarter off the backs of those turnovers, and then were able to close it out in the fourth, outscoring the Buccaneers 14-6 for a total of 31-6 in the second half. Uh, the Buccaneers, though, despite being 6-8, and eight, are still atop their division because the 5-8 and eight Saints, or sorry, the 5-8 and eight, uh, Falcons lost to the 4-9 and nine Saints on the road. The Saints won 21-18 when Desmond Ritter's first start for the Falcons. Uh, if the Falcons had won, they would have been in first place in this division. And if the Steelers had lost to the Panthers, and the Panthers had won that game, then, well, the Panthers would have been in first place, but instead... We are sitting here with all three of those teams, five and nine, and the Buccaneers at six and eight, still leading that division, although none of those teams deserve to be in the playoffs, and it's crazy that one of them has to be. Um, but speaking of teams that don't deserve to be in the playoffs, I'll move on from that Saints-Falcons win. I don't even know why I put it in most impressive teams, uh, but I guess the Saints getting a win when they needed to, important, keeping themselves in the division race. Uh, but then you have the Broncos, who I was impressed with this week, because their defense played great against Colt McCoy and the Cardinals, uh, despite being 4-10, and, and even Brett Rippon wasn't that bad. 
Uh, but guess what? Neither of these teams are relevant at all. I'll move on from them quickly. Uh, this game was relevant. The Steelers beat the Panthers 24-16. Like I said, the Panthers could have taken the lead in the NFC South had they gotten that win, but they did not. The Steelers were able to come away with a 24-16 win. Very impressed with the Steelers' defense and their bounce back in this game. They've been playing well recently uh, since TJ Watt has come back, and that's not really a surprise, but they continue to play well, and they deserve credit for that. And then finally, you have the Browns who beat the Ravens 13-3. Uh, their defense was great in this game, stopping Tyler Huntley, although Justin Tucker did miss two field goals, so the Ravens should have had three scoring drives. They still wouldn't have won the game, uh, but they still should have had three scoring drives, and they ended up with only just one. Um, Deshaun Watson has not been great since he came back, but the Browns have been doing just enough to win and keep themselves kind of in the race in the AFC playoff picture. Not really. Um, and then finally, I'm not talking about the game itself. It doesn't go in most impressive teams or best games, but sorry to commanders fans who kind of got screwed over by the refs, uh, on Sunday night football. But in the end of the game, the most important result was that the Cowboys clinched a playoff spot because of that commander's loss on Sunday night football, while the Giants put themselves in better position to make the playoffs. And finally, that is all we have for the NFL. We will move on now to the NBA. This will be a very quick recap because I'm not going to lie with all the bowl games that have been going on. I haven't been paying much attention uh, to the NBA, but I will start with my three most impressive teams, starting with the Heat, who went 3-0 this week. Uh, they've really turned it around. They've had a rough few, uh, you know, few weeks to start the season, but uh, with wins over San Antonio, Houston, and Oklahoma City, you know, kind of bottom feeders of the West, but still important to get your wins uh, when you can. The Heat finally going above 500 for the first time this season with a 16-15 and 15 record. Then you have the Cleveland Cavaliers, who reached their 20th wins of the 20th win of the season and their 21st um, with wins over Utah. They beat Dallas twice this week, and then they beat Indiana. Um, Dallas definitely going in the wrong direction, but the rest of those teams kind of somewhere in between in the middle of the league. Um, and the Cavs able to go 4-0 with a pretty challenging schedule this week, uh, all things considered, and able to get to that 20th win. Donovan Mitchell getting that revenge win over Utah for sure was a good win for the Cavs, a feel-good win for them. Uh, and they are trending as a pretty good team in the East. Maybe a 3-seed, maybe a 4-seed. It's possible definitely behind the Celtics and the Bucks for sure, but they're able to kind of compete on that level and probably get a seed right under those teams, if not maybe even above the Bucks potentially, I don't know, but it's possible. Then you have the Knicks, who went 3-0 and this week. They beat Indiana, and then also beat Chicago twice. Uh, for a very impressive week for the Knicks, they have also been winning many, many games in a row at this point, and are uh, trending towards the top of the East, obviously, again, behind the Heat. Or, sorry, not behind the Heat, actually, they are ahead of the Heat, but behind the Cavs, behind the Bucks, behind the Celtics, but kind of right in that mix for those teams right behind them, if they keep playing the way they've been playing recently and uh, just playing really good basketball for the last few uh, weeks. Uh, and that is all I have for impressive teams. I'll move on to the most disappointing NBA teams of the week, uh, starting with the Toronto Raptors, who went 0-4. They lost to Sacramento, they lost to Brooklyn, they lost to Golden State, and they lost to Philadelphia. I believe that Philadelphia loss was in overtime, but I don't really care. Uh, the Raptors losing four games in a week. Not good for them whatsoever. They're normally a pretty good team at home, but losing to Sacramento at home, despite Sacramento being at the tail end of a six-game road trip, that is not the best loss that you can take. Um, but the Kings still playing good basketball this year, still a good team, but still not a good loss to take if you're the Raptors. 
a team that's supposed to be contending for a playoff spot that just hasn't played well this last week. Then you have the Bulls who lost to Minnesota and then lost to New York twice. Um, they also have had some locker room drama, and I really don't have any comments on this team because there are now many, many games under 500. I believe eight games under 500. I think the record is 11 and 19, uh, maybe 13 and 19, something in that area. But regardless, this team is just kind of melting down, and uh, it seems like there's a lack of leadership there. And if you look at the sound bites of what the players are saying, including Goran Dragic, it, it just doesn't sound good, and they're not playing well. I don't know how correlated those two things are in terms of the locker room chemistry and the play, but maybe the locker room chemistry is, well, they're obviously correlated, I should say, but I don't know what is causing what. I don't know if the locker room chemistry is leading to the bad play or if the bad play is leading to the bad locker room chemistry. It's hard to tell, uh, but the point is they're not trending in the right direction and it doesn't look like they have a fix anytime soon. Uh, and then you have the Washington Wizards who have lost uh, 10 games in a row after being 11 in 10 to start the season. They are now 11 and 20. Uh, they lost to the Lakers, the Clippers, and Denver this week. Definitely a tougher schedule, but still, this team's got to win a game at some point. Uh, even Charlotte was able to go on the road and beat Sacramento to deny the Kings a, a 3-0 week and also to get their first win uh, after having a seven-game losing streak. Um, but enough of the negative. Let's go on to the positive. The player of the week, it is Nikola Jokic for sure. Of Denver, he had he averaged 36 points, 17.3 rebounds, 8.7 assists, and 3.7 steals per game last week as the Nuggets went 2-1. and one. one of those games, he became the eighth, uh, or had the eighth game in NBA history of 35-25-5, and five, I believe was the stat line. Uh, Wilt Chamberlain had done that seven times. Nobody else had done it once. Nikola Jokic dropped 40-27-10 and, and was able to join that exclusive group of just him, and Wilt himself, Mr. Uh, Mr. Stats That Can't Be Achieved Ever Again. Um, but Jokic has put himself in that category in terms of those crazy stats multiple times with his versatility. Uh, not comparing him to Wilt at all, but there is still a chance that, the, that he can win three MVPs in a row. The voter fatigue is going to be a factor, um, and the fact that there are still seven guys who are averaging 30 points or more per game uh, this late in the season is also going to be a factor. But... For now, Jokic is definitely one of the front runners, if not the favorite, to win the MVP once again. But moving on from professional basketball, we're going to go into the college ranks now for a bit. Uh, less games this week because it's not feast week. It's not a week in December where teams just decided to play each other. Uh, just kind of a, a light week in non-conference schedule as the Big Ten takes a little bit of a break before they play conference games in a week. And pretty much all those teams starting to take breaks before the conference schedule uh, I won't spoil anything, but there were two upsets today. Well, no, I will spoil something. Uh, I won't talk about these games because they're out of the day range that we set, but Duke did lose to, to Wake Forest in their ACC opener, and Virginia went on the road and lost to Miami in their ACC opener. So conference play will start to heat this up. They will be That will be on the upsets category next week. Um, but for now, still only non-conference action for the most part, and then we'll get into conference action next week and the week after, and that will be when there start to be way more games here as uh, teams take on stronger competition. But, speaking of strong competition, UCLA, number 16 in the country heading into the week, uh, beat number 20 Maryland 87-60 on the road. Maryland had beaten an Illinois team that UCLA had lost to early in the season, so it felt like Maryland was going to be favored at home, but UCLA had like a 25 or 27 point halftime lead, maybe 29 points actually. 
Um, and Maryland was just out of it before the second half even started. UCLA definitely getting major props for this win on the road. Big resume boosting win. Uh, then you have number 15, Gonzaga, who beat number four, Alabama, 100 to 90. The line was really close in this game, so I don't feel like placing it as an upset, um, especially when you compare the other two upsets that I have. Uh, although technically one of them wasn't an upset, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, but Gonzaga able to pull off this win, maybe re-enter the top 10 with that victory. I actually have not read the AP poll yet for this week, but I will see what happened with that. Uh, and Alabama trending downwards, but you know, they still have some good wins to hold up their resume. They're still a very good team. Then you have number eight, Kansas, who beat number 14, Indiana, 84 to 62. Talked about this earlier with my predictions a little bit. Um, Kansas was just able to come out and dominate Indiana. Uh, former Rutgers guard Geo Baker, although it was kind of clipped out of context, did say that, you know, Indiana is a little bit soft, and uh, I I don't really know how well they will hang with powerhouses. Now, this is me saying that personally. Um, I, I really don't think they can. I think the Kansas and Arizona games are evidence of that. I really feel like outside of the first maybe five minutes of the game where Arizona got off to a huge lead, Indiana played the best basketball they could play. They played up to their potential against Arizona, and they still lost. So I just don't believe... This team can be the national championship contender for the Big Ten. The team that's carrying that banner is definitely going to be Purdue, um, and I'll talk about them in a second, maybe even Illinois to an extent if they can figure some other things out because they're dealing with off-the-court issues. Seems to be a prominent thing in the state of Illinois um, with the Chicago Bulls and with the University of Illinois with their basketball team that there's a lot of off-the-field issues or off-the-court issues going on there, um, although Illinois is mostly also a leadership problem, not actually anything too bad, just bad in a basketball sense. But then finally, going back to UCLA, number 16 in the country heading into the week, beat number 13, Kentucky, after beating number 20, Maryland. They beat Kentucky 63-53 to in, I think it was called the Empire Classic, maybe the 2K Classic, I don't know. Or maybe CBS Sports Classic, I think. I think that's actually what it was called. Um, but they got a good win. They got two good wins this week, definitely raising their ranking up. Should be in the top 10, in my opinion, even though I normally have not been so high on this UCLA team really over the last three years, to be quite honest. Uh, but definitely high on this one. They are a good team. And then let's move on now to the close games, starting with number four, Alabama, who beat Memphis 91-88. to That was before that game against Gonzaga. So Alabama had a tough week. Uh, they scored 90 twice, but they also gave up uh, 188 points over the span of two games, which doesn't reflect too great on their defense. Um, that is... 94 points a game for those of you who can do math, although I will admit I had to use a calculator for that. Uh, but you know what? Alabama still coming out. Memphis is a good team. This was a good win for Alabama. Um, I don't know if Memphis is going to be a top 25 team by the end of the year, but they're probably going to be one of those fringe teams. Should be a tournament team pretty easily if they don't slip up later in the year. They have a lot of good players, a lot of good talent on that roster. Uh, but moving on from that, another team that has good talent, obviously, they're ranked number one, is number one, Purdue. They beat Davidson 69-61. Really, Purdue has kind of started to struggle against a few teams that are now giving them their best shot as their number one. This happened to them last year when Rutgers eventually knocked them off at home by a Ron, behind a Ron Harper Jr. Uh, half-court shot when Purdue was number one. But Purdue with this win over Davidson means that they can actually play as the number one team in the country at home, I think for the first time in program history. But unfortunately, last year, they weren't able to do that. They were number one for a week, but played on the road, lost, came back home, weren't number one anymore. Uh, I still believe UConn is better than Purdue, but it's very close, and Purdue's recent close games 
play in my favor because UConn still has not won a game by less than 10. Um, and then I'll move on from that whole t- talk to talk about another team that is uh, in the top 10. Actually, two teams that should be in the top 10. Number nine, Arizona beat number six, Tennessee, 75 to 70. I really don't think this game reflected poorly on either team. It really was a high-level basketball game. It felt like I was watching two top 10 teams on the court at the same time, uh, and it just it felt like a great game, um, and it was a great game, and it was great to watch, and Arizona is once again coming back strong. Really only lost Benedict Matherin and Dalen Terry from that team last year, but adding Courtney Ramey in the transfer portal has been a big help for them, and then really just keeping everybody else. They kept Tubelis, they kept Balo, uh, they kept Kirkreesa, they kept up, they kept three of their five starters from a team that got to a one seed and replaced them with some pretty good talent. So it's not too surprising that they are a top 10 team this year, and uh, they are very, very good to start the year. I expect them to continue that into the Pac-12 season and probably bid again for a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Then you have number 17, Mississippi State, who beat Nichols State 68-66. to um, I would try to be smart and say, well, I, I think a Mississippi State loss is coming pretty soon, but instead, uh, they already lost to Drake today, so I won't say that because that's just to hypocritical, you know, I mean, I already know that they lost, so why would I try to forecast it when it's already happened? But I have been saying for a while that with how they've been trending, playing too close, they were going to lose a game eventually. They don't look like a dominant team. Their undefeated season is not the same as some under other undefeated seasons, like Purdue's undefeated season. It just doesn't feel the same. They don't look as good when they play. They don't pass that eye test. Uh, but this game was close, and then obviously they eventually tripped up, or got tripped up against Drake. Um, and then you have North Carolina, who beat number 23, Ohio State, 89-84 to in overtime. This was also a very entertaining game. Didn't quite feel like I was watching as high of a level as I was when watching Arizona and Tennessee, but it felt like there were two good teams on the court. These teams should both make the tournament. They should both be at least six or seven seeds, probably better. Um, at least one of them will probably be better than that. Um, then you have number seven, Texas, who beat Stanford 72-62. to can't lie, I wasn't watching this game, but Stanford, not a great team on the year. It doesn't reflect too well that Texas, uh, since all the drama with Chris Beard, has gone to overtime with Rice and only won by 10 against Stanford. Not a good sign for them. They don't really look like a top 10 team anymore, to be quite honest. Um, and then you have number 11, Baylor, who struggled to beat Washington State 65-59. to Same situation as Texas in terms of just not looking as great as they originally did uh, for the last few weeks, but Baylor stacking up wins not losing games in the same way that Texas is, so that's always positive and had high preseason expectations and a lot of talent on their roster. And then let's move on to the upsets. I didn't know if I wanted to place Houston over Virginia here, but technically you had number five in the country knocking off number two in the country, Virginia 69-61, and it was on the road. So theoretically, lower-ranked team beats higher-ranked team on the road. It should be an upset. But Houston was favored in this game, and I picked Houston, and I think a lot of people did. And I also think that Houston is better. I think a lot of metrics say that. My bracket said that. And I don't do my bracket just on eye test. I actually go more off of metrics than I do off of the eye test. Uh, Even when the metrics completely disagree with my eye test, I will probably go with the metrics maybe 80, 85% of the time. And uh, Houston in metrics and by the eye test better than Virginia. And now in the win column as well uh, against them. And then finally, maybe the only real upset of the week, USC beat number 19 Auburn 74 to 71 USC's had a few good seasons, but this is not one of their better teams. Uh, They've had a rough non-conference schedule despite not really playing anybody in the same way that last year they were undefeated because they hadn't really played anybody or maybe had one one one-point loss. I know they at least had 
were 10 and 1 or something like that going into the conference schedule and I kept saying that they weren't actually good cuz they kept losing winning very close games against bad teams. This year they stepped up the competition a little bit. Their conference their out of conference strength of schedule is still somewhere in the 250s I believe, maybe even lower than that. But they're able to get this win over Auburn to boost their resume despite their three losses that maybe shouldn't have happened earlier in the season. Uh, but that will be all for this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, December 27th, where we will recap my weekend predictions as always, have a weekly look at NBA and college basketball action, talk again about college football with the continuation of bowl season, um, and also talk about week 16 in the NFL, probably a lot of teams clinching their playoffs, um, and also maybe some scenarios in terms of the bracket. It might be unfolded. We don't know. Probably some of it, but in the meantime, be sure to check out my additional content, including my predictions for every college football bowl game that were posted last week, my NCAA tournament bracket that will be updated tomorrow, and my picks for next weekend's games that will be posted, as always, on Thursday, um, and my recent article ranking all of the teams doing a way too early power rankings for the MLB. That's already been thrown into question by the Padres making a few signings, the Angels making some signings. I will change that later, um, but... I will continue to maybe do a few more of those, but for now, check those out. Um, and all of that is on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.